0: For the past 12 years, I have brought you conversations with great photographers. From legends to lesser known photographers, it's always been my goal to introduce you to people who not only produce great work, but who are also inspirations. Over the past few months, as I've met many of you, you have shared how much the show has meant to you. I'm not only flattered by that, but it has encouraged me to produce more conversations for many years to come. Your financial support has also been invaluable. It has allowed us to create the free Candid Frame app and the new Alexa skill. It has also helped us to invest in microphones, recording devices, and software that's helped us to improve the sound quality of the show and improve the website. It's also helped us to travel, to meet photographers in person, to conduct interviews face-to-face, which provides a wonderful dynamic to our conversations. If you love what we're doing here and it's making a difference in your photographic life, I encourage you to donate today. You can support the work we do here by contributing as little as $2 a month to our Patreon campaign. That modest donation helps us to bring a quality show to you every week. Contribute today by visiting Patreon.com forward slash The Candid Frame. This is a body X, and this is The Candid Frame. I've known Rick Salmon for years now, including serving as his editor when I worked for Outdoor Photographer and Digital Photo Pro magazines. I've always appreciated the enthusiasm and the passion that he brings to both photography and photo education. Whether it's through his books, magazine articles and workshops, he has encouraged countless people to pursue their passion for photography. In his latest book, The Route 66 Photo Road Trip, he created a little something different. Along with his wife Susan, they produced a book that explores the richness of America's Route 66. The book provides valuable information for those who love combining a road trip with photography. Along with important information about planning a trip, food and restaurant recommendations, the book is also full of photographic tips for taking full advantage of the classic American adventure. Well, Rick, welcome to The Candid Frame. It's a pleasure to have my old friend back on the show.
1: <laughs> well, thank you so much. I don't know how long I've known you for, but I remember you were my great editor at a PC Photo, which seems like 100 it, years yeah, ago. Yeah, it
0: does, man. It, it does. <laughs> but um, I'm really excited to talk about your new book, The Route 66 Photo Road Trip. Uh, it, you know, it's it's... I'm in California, so it's been something that's been on my radar, but I never really thought about making making the trip. But uh, I was really spurred after you know going through the book. And what's interesting to me about this book, because you've written more books than I have, uh, you've <laughs> done a lot, but this one is being done with your wife. And yes, and I thought that a real good first question for you, that a lot of photographers are always asking, is like, how do you have a good photo trip? With your spouse. What's the secret?
1: Well, I'll tell you, my secret for being married for uh, uh, 38 years mm-hmm. is happy wife, happy life. <laughs> Good motto, yeah. <laughs> So, so this is a good motto. But what we do is, you know, we basically, and we've been running our business since uh, 1990, you know, a photography business and mm-hmm. workshops and all this stuff. So it's a long time. And, you know, what we do is uh, we divide responsibilities. So, in other words, in this book, we went into this knowing that I would basically write most of it and do the outline and things like mm-hmm. that. And she would, like, concentrate on photogra- uh, photographing and writing about the restaurants uh, okay. and some of the places we Stayed. So if we, div- I think if you go into a project knowing you know who's going to do what, it's going to avoid uh, conflicts. Now, the only thing is, anyone who has ever worked with me will tell you that time moves faster for me than anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> no, it really does. I mean, I'm so impatient. So you know, I'm like done the book before we even go. Oh my <laughs> well, god, I'm, exagger- I'm exaggerating, <laughs> exaggerating a little. But um, but it was it was it is work. It is definitely a lot of work. but uh, So I have a lot of pictures taken with my uh, digital SLRs in there. And she has a lot of pictures taken with her iPhone. Mm-hmm. And she processed, the, processed these on site. You know, I have to go back to the hotel and process them and things like that. So I think it's a good mix. It can show you that. And we don't identify who took which picture. You know, we do we do have, uh, as you saw, those sections in there, my photo tips and her photo tips. But, um, you know, you know the old, old expression, which has been around forever. Cameras don't take pictures. People yeah. do. So
0: but how do you how do you what's your advice for people who are like they have a photographer, but their yep. spouse isn't a photographer, but the photographer is really inspired to take a trip because they want to make photographs. And there's always this sort of tension between them wanting to make photographs and the spouse wanting sort of want to get on and do something right, else right. so you know you've been married a long time and you've yep. met countless of photographers and photographic widows or widowers yes, yes. In, uh, yep. uh, you know because there's just as many women who are avid photographers as men these days so what is your advice for people who want to take these trips with their significant others but want to strike a balance between making photographs and then enjoying time with their with their loved one
1: well, I think you have to look at it like as, as a whole experience. Yes, we, we did go on Route 66 once to have fun just by ourselves and the second time to really get more information for the book. So the first time we were just having fun. But my advice would be, you know, think about that you really do want to make it fun for the other person because if the other person is not having fun, you're not going to have fun and you're not going to get the best pictures and, and you're not going to be able to write and do all this other stuff. So I would encourage, you know, Either a husband or a wife who has a spouse who uh, is not that interested in photography get them into iPhone photography. you know get them the first time we went, Susan took a couple of pictures the second time we went, she took thousands of pictures and processed them on site mm. so and then we would we would share that so we, we really Got, we made it more of a, of like a, a, a travelogue. You know, this is not really a how-to photo book. It has f- some photo tips in there. But what we're doing is we're experiencing it together. And I think uh, the experience and the fun we had comes through because although we – we take ourselves seriously. We, we take our work seriously. We don't take ourselves seriously. Yeah. You know, we have fun.
0: <laughs> One of the things I found that helps me is that my wife is not an early riser. Ah. You know, so. I can get out, if I get up early enough, I can leave the hotel or wherever we're staying and go out where the light is good. And by the time I get back, she's just getting ready to go have breakfast and stuff like that. And uh, you sort of use the middle of the day where the light is less than ideal to, you know, we'll go around doing, doing stuff. But I sort of schedule... My time to dedicate to photography when when the light's good, and yeah,
1: that that's definitely a good tip. <laughs> yeah, and I did get up like we went to the uh, to the wigwam. I went to the wigwam motel uh, very early for sunrise uh, two mornings. I got up at like five thirty, and I got over there, and I got back when uh, when she was getting up. But most of the time, because she loves photography, Susan loves photography. She was out there out there with yeah. me.
0: Well, for people who are not from the states, because um, I got right. people who listen to the show from all over the world. Why don't you explain what Route 66 was and is, and why you were inspired to go out and you know create images in, in this book?
1: Well, that's a good question because there is a what was and what is to Route 66. So at one time it was a way to get across the country. So you had all these motels, you had all these shops, you had uh, and these Art Deco hotels with this be- with these beautiful neon lights. You know these these hotels were work of art. They're not like Holiday Inns, right? <laughs> they all have these neon lights. Uh, on the cover of the book we have the Blue Swallow Motel. It has a a Blue Swallow on it. It's pink and blue and white and it. And it's really cool. So anyway, Route 66 was the way to go back and forth across the country. However... Uh, when I 40 opened, I think it was in the 60s, I 40 opened, it really killed Route 66 almost immediately. People stopped driving on Route 66. So the hotels closed. Uh, many of the hotels closed. A lot of the shops closed. So wh- as you're driving across um, I 40, there are these little brown signs that say, Get off, you know, here's historic Route 66, whether it's in uh, Winslow or Gallup or all these towns in uh, New Mexico in Arizona, which is what we call the prime cut of Route 66. Mm-hmm. It actually starts in Chicago and goes to uh, California. But anyway, uh, you get off the you get off the super highway where people are going like 80 or 85 miles an hour and you get off into these small towns and you see these old cars, you see these old buildings and you meet people who are trying to keep Route 66 alive and a lot of dilapidated buildings. So it, it really is, you get off I-40, like today you you you're in a 2018 you go you get off there you're back in the 19 you can be back in the 1960s if you have the right uh, mindset yeah
0: yeah and then route 66 is like embedded in, in our nation's history and, and culture you know it was included in uh, grapes of wrath from the whole migration of the okies during the the dust bowl um, there was a tv show
1: yeah, the, yeah, where the guys drove around in a in a Corvette, yeah. On Route Although it was filmed in Canada, I think they was were it? Route 66. Well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: but you know it's 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 really embedded in the sort of the imagination of, of of the country and i know people for decades even after the highway came in would make this wonderful trek out there and, and it seems like you just described that it has so much potential subject matter to to go and photograph um when's when's the best time to go out there
1: well, actually, you could go any time of year because it 's in arizona and uh, and New Mexico. We made a trip one trip in the uh, spring and one trip in the fall, but you could go in the winter time too it 's probably less crowded in the winter time, but it wasn 't really crowded at all uh, when we were there but uh, you know the, the photo opportunities are just incredible. My wife and I have been to about a hundred countries mm-hmm. and we still love going on Route 66. We're going to go back. There's just something. It's like going to like your favorite restaurant, yeah. right? <laughs>
0: so how long is the stretch? Because uh, as you said in the book, it's not a continuous highway anymore. So it's right. like there's a, like more of a sweet spot that you're recommending in the book. How long is that? And how long does it take to yeah. get from one end to the other?
1: Yeah. Well, we did an eight day trip. We landed in uh, Albuquerque and <clears throat> Albuquerque, New Mexico. Then we drove about two hours out to Tucumcari, which is where the iconic photograph on Route 66 has taken the Blue Swallow Motel. So after we stayed overnight there, we drove up to Santa Fe. And you might think Santa Fe on Route 66 all the way up from Albu- Albuquerque. Well, one of the governors wanted Route 66 to go through uh, Santa Fe. So he, re- he changed the name of the roads. So we went up to Santa Fe, photographed these beautiful Beautiful old churches that were built you know when the Spanish were there and then we went down to Gallup and then we went to Holbrook and Winslow you know the song Standing on the Corner of Winslow, Arizona oh okay that's not the name of the song but it's in the song by the Eagles and then we wound up in Vegas so it's an eight day trip so we call what we do in the book is we cover like what we call again it's the prime cut you could start in Chicago you know and drive through cornfields for a couple of days <laughs> Right, but if you want if you want great photos, we think the book really shows you uh, where to go, and you know the Grand Canyon's a nice. Nice spot. Uh, it's not too far uh, off of Route 66. It's maybe about an hour and a half or two hours. So that that's a great spot to go to. Uh, also Route 66 on Route 66. So
0: you know when it comes to a, a road trip, I mean I've done road trips and not with the idea of making photographs. But one of the things that that, that at least from a photographer's point of view, is there's some times that are just best to, to make photographs and there are other times where it's just best to, to you know, just drive and, right. you know, and get to wherever you need to go. But it seems like there's so many sort of opportunities to photograph along the route. How did you guys sort of figure out You know, how much, how long do you stay in a particular spot, when do you get there, you know, you know, take advantage of the best light and, you know, and all those other things. How did you sort of, how did you guys think about that when you, when it came time to planning the trip?
1: Google. <laughs> we Googled everything. We uh, And we have an app. You know, we have PhotoPills, you know that app? Mm-hmm. And ph- photographers are ephemeris. Uh, that's the one we were using. So we, we actually knew exactly, because Route 66 runs east to west, we knew where the sun was going to rise. So we knew when we had to be in these different locations to get the best light. So we picked, actually, going from uh, Albuquerque out to uh, Las Vegas, we stopped at every just about every place place where there was a brown sign okay. uh, where it says historic route 66 and sometimes it's like a, a two hour drive between places which gives you time to think mm-hmm. and uh, sometimes it's like an hour but but the, that thinking time in between is a nice time to reflect on all the fun you had and how lucky you are to make a road trip which you know doesn't break the bank you know once you're there you could you could get a flight on southwest airlines from you know east coast or west coast to uh albuquerque you know discount ticket rent a car and drive around it it's doesn't cost that much and it's a ton of fun yeah so
0: you know when sometimes you know you get tempted to stay at a place a little longer were there any times where you felt like well let's stay a little longer and sort of change things on the fly? Or were you guys pretty... Did you guys adhere pretty much to your schedule?
1: Well, my friends call me the shoot and scoot photographer. So, in other (laughs) so in other words, I go to a location, I get the shot, uh, or we get the shots in this case, and then we scoot it out. Now, I will admit some of the shots are not you know art quality. You know, make an art uh, a fine art print and put them on your wall. Mm -hmm. You know, they're fun shots. Uh, We have shots of some of the restaurant owners. We're in the uh, the sixty six diner in in Albuquerque, and the waitresses bringing over in this like 1960s outfit is bringing over these milkshakes and hamburgers and all this stuff. And it was, they're fun shots. So for what we were looking for was to really capture the fun and excitement, not uh, be like Ansel Adams, you know, waiting and planning out, you know, (laughs) uh, for the light and to be there maybe for days. So when it came to people, Tell me yep. about, about that because,
0: you know, a lot of those people there are there because they want to support the economy and, you know, sustain the, the life of Route 66. Does that result in people being more amenable to being photographed or do they are they sick and tired of so many people coming there with cameras that they kind of like, don't point a camera at me? What, what's it like? What
1: was your experience? I would say 100% positive. Now, you do know if you meet someone on Route 66, I I know after doing this for so long, you know I kind of know if they don't want to be photographed. Like if I see a guy on a motorcycle and I go up and he's not looking that friendly, I'm not going to ask him to, (laughs) to, you know, hey, buddy, could I take your picture? But I did find motorcycle guys that were great and, and friendly. But what I do is I always promise to send a picture. My wife and I, and what I do, like if, I'm photog- if I want to photograph a young waitress in, um, in the 66 Diner, who's in the book, right? Mm. What I say is my wife and I would love to, you know, have, have a picture of you. Just not I would like to have a picture of you. So that two people, you know, husband and wife team want to photograph someone makes it a little uh, more acceptable, I think, to the person. And, of course, I say it with a big smile. Yeah. I say, could you do do us a favor and we'll send you the picture, and we always promise to send the picture. And just a small piece of advice, if you promise to send a picture to someone, if you don't do it, you're going to make it harder for me the next time I go to that place or every photographer who's listening, right? Yeah. If you, you, really, you really have to do that. And it bugs me when I hear from someone, oh, the last person here said they do that and I never got the picture. So I think being nice, being friendly. On Route 66, we didn't pay people for their pictures. But when I go to places like Myanmar, whatever, I do pay uh, I do pay people. But we went to uh, the neon, the neon uh, sign... It's called a neon sign shop. It's called Absolutely Neon mm-hmm. in, in Albuquerque. And the guy could not have been nicer. You know, he let us come into his shop. I set up my camera. Because I wanted to get all the neon lights set up in the picture, they were blinking at different times. And I wanted to get him. I had to use HDR, so I asked him to stand still, and I took like seven pictures, and it came out. And he was very patient. Uh, we met the Angel of uh, Route sixty six, the person to whom we uh, we dedicate the book to. He's actually founded the uh, Historic Route sixty six uh, Association. Angel del God del Gadio. I think that's how he pronounces his last name. But anyway, he founded this. This is a great story. I think we had met him. Uh, on the previous trip, a few years before, mm. so I, we go into a shop and I say to his daughter i say where 's angel oh he 's home sleeping i said ah oh, man i 'm sorry I missed him She calls him up." The guy's ninety-two years old. Wakes up and rides his bicycle to see us on Route oh, sixty-six. Wow. I mean, Man. ninety-two. So that's why we dedicated the book to him because he has such a love, such a love for Route sixty-six. Again, he founded the Route sixty-six uh, Association in, in New Mexico. Yeah, a ton that, of fun. that's awesome. Because I, you
0: know, for me, it's it's a great trip is when I've had an opportunity to meet people. I right. think so. It's not just about the, the pictures that I've made or the interesting sites. If I had memories of people that I had a chance to meet, that for me means, means much more to me than anything else because it, it really flushes out the, the experience. And it seems like this route and this, and this trip is really amenable to that.
1: Well, it is, and it's the same thing. If uh, if the listeners are putting together like a slideshow, you could have a million pictures of hotels, you know, mm-hmm. and and old cars and abandoned buildings. They're nice, but it, when you start to put some people pictures in there, including pictures of yourself, like I have pictures of Susan using her iPhone uh, on the corner in Winslow, Arizona. It makes it come alive. It makes it more personal. So I really recommend. Doing that, I, I, you know, for me, I think you know me when, uh, since uh, we worked together at uh, PC Photo, which turned into, and digital photo's still around, right? Yeah, digital photo pro, outdoor photographers, still, still around. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're still around. My, my, I, I tell people my specialty is not specializing, but when it comes down to it, I love, I love photographing people. Yeah.
0: So when when you're traveling, as well as logistics, it's it's packing is like a big, big thing for me. I I always wrestle with not trying to take too much because I have to haul that stuff for the airports. But when you're traveling out of a car, how do you sort of what's best to do in terms of being able to pack just enough, uh, especially since you have to accommodate all your camera equipment? What did you guys sort of figure out is sort of the, the sweet spot with respect to that?
1: Yeah, that's a good question too. Because on, and, and another reason to do any road road trip because you're self contained. You don't have to worry about putting stuff in baggage or anything like that, losing a bag. So what we did is we put our our uh, our suitcases. Our suitcase is in the back seat. And then, because who's going to steal a suitcase, right? I think. And what we did is then we put our cameras in my camera bags while we were driving around from location to location. Our camera's bag opened in the back seat. So if I saw something, I could just run around, pop the trunk, grab my camera and shoot hmm. so I, I wanted my cameras and my tripods uh, hidden in the trunk trunk but i didn't want to look like a photographer you know with my <laughs> with all the stuff in the back and so i did take a lot of stuff
0: yeah, uh, with respect to um, the equipment that you take do you, do you tend to take everything in the kitchen sink or have you sort of come to the point where you sort of minimize how much you take
1: People are surprised on my workshops how little stuff I take. Like, I think on Route 66, I brought, well, I know, on Route 66, I brought a a fisheye lens, an 8 to 15 millimeter fisheye lens, my 16 to 35, my 24 to 105, and, uh, and that was it. I knew I didn't need a telephoto lens. You know, I might have missed some shots. You know, but some wildlife shot, which I you don't know, see too much wildlife on Route sixty six. So that that was fine for then. And I brought two camera bodies, and then I have my laptop, and I have two accessory hard drives. So I'm backing my stuff up in uh, three places. But all this, all the valuable stuff is uh, in the trunk. We
0: uh, uploading any images to to the cloud, just you know, just in case anything
1: else happened. I know I have to do that. <laughs> but you know what? When we did go to dinner, you know, I have these like safari pants and safari shorts with the big pockets. Mm-hmm. I always kept one hard drive with me all the time in case someone, you know, broke into the hotel. Yeah. If I go to Africa, if I'm on safari, I'll have the stuff in the lodge. I'm going to have that hard drive, uh, hard drive with me. Even these, these thumb drives, you know, you could put you know, almost all the raw pictures from a Route 66 road trip on, one, on a couple of thumb drives. Don't even have to carry around a five hundred gigabyte hard drive. Yeah. There's there's um
0: um a, two images of the same scene in the book, and I thought it was a really wonderful example of when of why you need to pay attention to the, uh, to good light. I, I didn't note the page, but it was a scene that you photographed right before sunset, and then you made the shot as the sun rose, and it completely transformed um, the scene. And I think that. One of the things that a lot of people, including myself, forget when we're traveling is good light can make all the difference in the world. And sometimes it's really worth either sticking around, getting up early or returning to a spot in order to leverage that. Talk about the importance of that in the in the work that you did for for this book
1: yeah we definitely did. I know which picture you're talking about it was taken in uh, outside of Tucumcari uh, New Mexico where the Blue Swallow Motel is and we were there and the light wasn't that good mm-hmm. and again like I said before we're not looking for art quality pictures but I knew I could do better so uh, I went back actually Susan was sleeping I went back early the next morning and, and I got I got just that one picture so you know I want you know all my almost all my books are how-to books they're educational books mm-hmm. so I want to have a as much education about photography in here as um, as about uh, traveling on Route 66. So, I like doing the before and after examples. Same thing like in, in, when when you're using a you know, Photoshop. I think that's a great way for people to learn. You know how a simple adjustment like like dehaze. You know we, we we go out to the Oregon coast a lot and it's hazy a lot. Dehaze in Photoshop and Lightroom is amazing if you don't overuse it. <laughs> <laughs> Right, otherwise you get that 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 pixelated look or that grainy look.
0: Yeah, I tend to be a little conservative in terms of my adjustments. You know, I'll well, go. Well, I think it's that's wise. That's so wise. That's great advice. You know, I'll move the slider all the way and then come back. You know, to just get a sense of what the effect is and sort of try to find my, my sweet spot. Yeah, but I think I think a lot of novice people take it a little bit too far just because they think it's cool, not knowing they're hurting, hurting everyone else's eyes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that's, that's a good line, too. Well, you know, I was talking to someone, and they said, well, we live in the slider generation. You know, Damn. I think when you and I started, we were working in the curves generation. You know, yeah. curves in Photoshop, which is, you know, the best way i found to uh, – one of the best ways I found to control the exposure in a scene and when you're doing that you could also controlling the contrast and the uh, saturation so we lived in the curves and levels world right and now we live in the sliders world so when you're when you're photographing on a trip
0: are you uh, assessing what you're doing during the trip or do you sort of wait until you get back home to start going through through the images and and, and culling
1: them Well, on a trip like this, we knew what we needed. So we we had basically an outline in our in our mind at least. Okay. You know we needed in each uh, in each location we needed a hotel, we needed people, we needed a church, we needed an old building, and and we needed detailed information because we don't want to say if you're looking at a building and the sun rises at the left and it rises at the right, you're going to get someone um, giving you a review on Amazon.com <laughs> saying you know they they were they were looking in the wrong direction. So you know accuracy, you know. Well, you know the expression uh, if you want to become an expert on something write a book about it <laughs> it's it's funny but it's true yeah it's it's funny but it's true so yeah we we had an idea but on a lot of our trips um, we like uh, you go to Africa and you just hope for the best cuz you just don't know what you're going to get you know in
0: this in this case you were you know you were intentionally creating photographs for illustrations in the book but do you think like having um, an idea of what kinds of images you want to get, like, like the equivalent of a shot, uh, shot list is helpful to people when they're traveling to some place that they've not been to before or kind of unfamiliar with?
1: Absolutely. You know, I review portfolios on, online. I'm sure you review portfolios mm-hmm. on your, at the end of your workshops or whatever. And sometimes I, someone came back from India and they had the most gorgeous headshots I've seen. They had a 1,000 gorgeous headshots. They could have been taken, you know, in little India, (laughs) you know, someplace else. They weren't environmental-type portraits, so I really couldn't tell where they were taken. They didn't have any landscapes. They didn't have any, you know, night scenes. They didn't have any inside low-light scenes. They were all just portraits. So I think having a shot list or at least thinking about the different type of shots that we can get uh, really helps us. And then just be open, you know, if the weather's really bad, you know, be open to that. If you want to get a like up in Iceland, mm-hmm. people go to Iceland to get beautiful pictures of the blue ice, you know, in the glacial lagoon. But it may not be great weather, so you embrace that. And speaking of Iceland, there's a great expression. Have you been there? No, not yet. Well, for our listeners who have been there, for your listeners who have been there, uh, they'll they'll relate to this expression. If you think the weather's bad bad in Iceland. Wait 10 minutes, it'll get worse. (laughs) (laughs) We were there, we were there, we were there, it was so windy. We went to a restaurant and the wind picked up and we couldn't get a cab because the cabs weren't going out because the doors would blow off. Oh my God. It can be bad, it can be
0: really windy. Yeah. You know, you've traveled all over the place. Um, As a photographer, as a workshop leader, as a writer... What would you say are some of the biggest mistakes you've ever made in terms of
1: traveling? Some of the biggest mistakes I made when traveling. Well, uh, I was in Antarctica on a cruise ship on a Russian icebreaker about 10 years ago. Now, you've heard of viruses breaking out on cruise ships, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the key to not getting a virus is to wash your hands all the time and to use that disinfectant. And they have, and on this Russian Russian cruise ship, they didn't have the disinfectant. Like when you went into the restaurant, went out of the restaurants, and things were served on a buffet line. So if one person has a virus on the ship, you know they're going to uh, give it to everyone. Well, on this Russian icebreaker uh, of eighty people, about sixty people, including myself, got the Norwalk virus, Uh. which is a fate worse than death, almost worse than death. I'm on the phone calling my wife, telling her where the will is. I thought I was going to die. Oh, my God. I really did. So not washing my hands, as simple as that sounds. As simple as that sounds, sounds like, uh, I mean, that was a big mistake. So if you go on a cruise ship, definitely. I was so sick, they locked us in our rooms. They didn't really lock us, but they quarantined us. They said, you can't go out of your rooms because they didn't want it to spread anywhere. So that was one mistake. Another mistake made very, very early on. This was about 20 years. We were in... um, of Aranasi in India. And we're with the guide, we're going around at night, and they had all these cremations going on along the, on mm-hmm. the, on the Ganges River. And I, it just, it, it looked beautiful, and it is a beautiful thing, right? It's a nice ceremony. So I said to the guide, I said, is it okay if I take a picture? So I raised my camera, and in about a second, about 15 or 20 guys were around me and my wife yelling at us, saying we shouldn't take a picture. So, that was, that was a, a bad mistake. Um, I don't really think I've made too many mistakes because I really try not to take chances. I try, well, I was scuba diving. The first time I went scuba diving in Belize, I ran out of air at 130 feet. Oh, so if it had not been for this guy Jim Rose, I definitely wouldn't be on your podcast. <laughs> no, I. I mean, he came over. We buddy breathed to the surface, but I don't think I've made too many other big mistakes, other than almost killing myself <laughs> <for> scuba diving.
0: <laughs> so what's what's the essential bit of kit besides you know your, obviously your cameras? It's essential whenever you travel, regardless where right. you go.
1: Uh, what else do I take? What's essential well, for
0: you? I mean, what's the you know what's the one or two things that you feel like uh, if I go on a trip I have to have this thing, or this information, or yep. what resource is invaluable to you?
1: Well, it's a combo. It's my iPhone and my headphones. <laughs> Cause cause, I mean, I've been on so many planes with screaming babies, you know, and, uh, and there are just people talking, you know, I get on the plane, I want I want to just be quiet, I want to go to sleep, so having those headphones is, uh, is really, really important, and dressing comfortably on the plane, you know, I think is, if you're going to be sleeping, we went from New York to um, Hong Kong last year, I think it was either fourteen or sixteen hours. So you want to dress comfortably for sure because you don't want to be sleeping in that seat in uncomfortable pants or a, or a starch shirt. How do you? Get, I went to South Africa last last year, and the jet oh, cool. lag kicked
0: my ass. Yes. Um, so how, what's what's your remedy for for jet lag?
1: Well, the remedy. Basically, it does say, I, I could I appreciate and relate to, like, how many days did it take you to get over? Like a week I, or more? I, I was
0: only there a week. So the entire week, I was, I was jet lagged yeah. the entire time. I know.
1: I know. So what I do is I try to go, if I have, a like, a, if we're doing a workshop or if I'm going for an assignment, I'll get there, like, a day or two early mm-hmm. so I can sleep. You know, I, you know, especially if you're doing a workshop, you don't want to be falling asleep while you're talking about the... <laughs> yeah. uh, You know, the exposure triangle (laughs) or or whatever, which is, you know, the aperture, the ISO, and then the shutter speed. So I get there two or three days earlier. Uh, My wife, she doesn't drink at all on the plane. so And she just goes into the zone. It doesn't seem to affect her as much. I'll have a glass of wine every once in a while. But I used to take Ambien, Mm -hmm. which is a, a sleeping pill. But it's not really that good for you, and you can wake up in a fog. So right now I take a Valium just to calm me down so I could uh, fall asleep. And then I listen to music, but you have to give your your – yourself some time, because I, I can relate 100% to what you're saying about how bad jet lag is. And uh-huh. I find it worse when I'm coming home, because I'm going someplace, I'm so excited. I get home, okay, you know, I got to, you know, download my images, <laughs> all this other stuff, and, you know, get back to the the usual stuff.
0: You, your wife is a photographer like like you, and, and she certainly has a different eye and a different approach to photography. What have you learned from spending time with her and photographing alongside her because i know that you teach a lot but i'm sure that you know she's sort of rubbed off on you in a variety of ways What in what ways are that
1: well a she's teaching iphone classes now locally and people people are loving them but i would say the main thing i learned from her is to put people in the pictures I mean, I, we used to scuba dive for 20 years. That's all we did. And if uh, someone would swim into the picture, ah, I would like, you, you'd hear me curse through the, through the regulator, right? <laughs> <Okay. laughs> but you know so that I really learned that from her how important it is and if you're on Instagram you know these people who have mega followings on Instagram they'll have a picture they'll have a beautiful scene and the the person in the picture might take up you know three percent or five percent of the picture and it's a stunning picture Mm -hmm. right so I think putting people in in the pictures is really important you know Ansel Adams You know, he had a thing called, uh, you know, people think he had a thing called uh, he only wanted to take pictures without uh, uh, an impression of the hand of man, whether Mm -hmm. it was a footprint or a telephone line. Well, it turns out that's not true because he has beautiful pictures of the Golden Gate Bridge while it was being built. And he has some nice portraits in there, too. So that whole uh, thing about that he never took a picture, you know, that with the hand of man in it is not true. I have a funny Ansel Adams story. If you want to hear it, yeah, yeah, feel free. Do you know John Sexton? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, John Sexton, one of Ansel Adams' assistants, an amazing black and white photographer. He has beautiful books out there on trees. He actually talks to the trees, and he says this in his lectures where I was at to get a, you know, to get in uh, contact with the trees. But he has this great Ansel Adams story. I think it's great. So I'm teaching this workshop with him, and he's. Um, sharing all these Ansel Adams stories. So, here's one of the stories. So, back in the 70s, when Ansel Adams was getting famous, before there were computers, someone on the East Coast writes Ansel Adams a letter on the, on the West Coast. And he's unhappy with Ansel Adams. So, this is what John Sexton is saying. Mm-hmm. Now, listeners can't see your, your expression there, but your, your, your expression said, how could anyone be unhappy with Ansel Adams, Right. Right. So this is what the letter says. Dear Mr. Adams, you know, I have, I have your books. And I'm sure you've read his, his books, The Negative and The Print, mm-hmm, right? Yeah. And they're still valid today, even though they have nothing to do with digital. So he says, Dear Mr. Adams, I have your uh, books. I have your posters. You inspired me. You inspired me to go to Yosemite. And when I got there, it didn't look like that. <coughs> So it's a funny story, but it doesn't look like that, right? Ansel Adams was an artist, the first HDR photographer. What he got out of like Moonrise Over Hernandez and Half Dome, all those, they're like HDR images. The tone range, the values are just incredible. Mm. So anyway, I think it's a funny story. And when people say, um, actually, when HDR came out, when people said, oh, I hate HDR. I said, well, Ansel Adams was the first HDR photographer. You hate him? right so it's really to each his own you know but i bringing back to uh you know it doesn't look like that i think it's important in our photography to say if a picture has been digitally enhanced a lot yeah well in other words if you can put birds in the picture or change the color of the leaves to make it look like fall whatever i think it's important to be honest well how old
0: were you when you first started photographing
1: well, my father, uh, we used to develop pictures in our basement in the, in the 1950s on Long Island. My father had a Bessler and Larger and a uh, Linhof view camera, and a speed graphic view, and a Canon camera, a 35 millimeter camera, which I still have here. So we developed in the basement. So I've been taking pictures since before I was 10. Yeah.
0: See, like, me and you have something in common in that a lot of the photographs that we create have, mm-hmm. been primar- have been primarily to like serve the magazine articles that we write, the books that we write, so on and so forth. So there's a functional quality to some of the images that we make. But there's, a, there's stuff that we create that is really very personal. And, and, and I'll speak for myself is that I'm always trying to challenge myself to make a, a photograph that I wouldn't have made the year before you know I always want to sort of push myself um, and, and, and sort of explore a new territory as a photographer so for you what has that been about recently how have you been challenging yourself or what have you been aspiring to in your photography over the last couple of years
1: Well, first of all, I think that's great that you do that. And I think it's a great goal for photographers to try to challenge themselves and try to push themselves. And because that's how we get better, right? Mm -hmm. You know, Eric Clapton and Santana, I'm sure they're pushing themselves to try to make, you know, write a different song sound a little different so they stay current, right? The downside of that is I was on a trip recently with a guy and he had just won some awards And he was so focused on getting a better picture, he was so focused, I mean really focused on getting to get a picture and beating himself, it ruined it for him and actually ruined it for a lot of the other people on the trip. So I think it's good to challenge yourself, but don't put so much pressure on yourself that you know you're gonna you know just ruin ruin the experience. So anyway, I'm really glad you uh, and I do that. But I think what I would like to get better at is is processing. Someone came oh, up to okay. me recently and said at a talk, I said, uh, she said. I'm bored with my landscape pictures. Well, if you, I said, did you ever do black and white? She said no. I said that could awaken the artist within you. I said, use you know, if you use Lightroom, great. You use uh, On One software or Nick or whatever. Play with just the different filters: the red, the green, the blue, the orange, the yellow, and see how those different filters can 't change the mood of the scene, play around in contrast with contrast because in black and white, as you know, uh, contrast is king, so I said play around and that that could change it, uh, change everything like you could play acoustic guitar and be bored playing acoustic guitar, get an electric guitar, and get like a little synthesizer for ninety nine bucks that makes every sound in the world, <laughs> and you might like playing guitar again yeah. So, well, speaking of black and
0: white, which, what's your preferred uh, method for converting uh, color images to black and white right now?
1: Yeah, I still like uh, the Nick stuff. How about you? Yeah, I just I just purchased the uh,
0: DXO versions this past week because uh, yep. I wanted to support their you know their, their purchase of the Nick uh, the Nick software, and I'm hoping that they you know stick around and, and improve it. Um, yes
1: improve i think and some new stuff right yeah
0: yeah yeah so it's just like and it's inexpensive i mean google gave it for free it was free for a while but they really didn't do much with any any of it so uh, i've always enjoyed that i mean i've used lightroom for a long time in order to make conversions but man the level of control that the nick software provides is is unmatched with anything else that i've ever tried
1: oh i agree with you the uh well, they have all those plugins. They have all the presets on the left of Nick Silver Effects Pro. And those control points. F- and the control points, yeah. right. That's, that's amazing. So you pick a preset that you like, like fine art or full structure, and then you do a control point on the main subject. You can make that subject, you can make a print not really look 3D, but you can make the subject really stand out. Mm hmm. So what's your next trip? Do you have one planned? Yeah, I think I'm going to go uh, to New York City and find a voice coach so I can sound as cool <laughs> as you. <laughs> no, you definitely, you definitely. You, not only are you a great interviewer, a great guy, I mean, a great photographer. I love your black and white uh, phot- uh, photographs, a great workshop leader, but you definitely have the best. You know, I wish I could. Maybe I just need to slow down and talk like a little, <laughs> little bit lower, but it, it wouldn't it be me. So you are really. So uh, the next trip, actually, we're working on a book, uh this was such a success. Um, we're doing a book on the Oregon coast. Oh. So we're going out to the... Uh, have you been there?
0: Uh, no, no, I've not been up to the Oregon coast. I've been up to Seattle area, but not not Portland.
1: Oh, well, you go... If you want to start in... Uh, uh, Newport okay. Newport you go Newport to Florence to Bandon you could do this in about a week and you plan your trip at low tide uh, so when you go to the seaside areas the sea stars and the sea anem- anemones are uh, standing out you get well you can get dense fog but you could also get beautiful beautiful uh, sunsets because it's on the west coast oh, as I, you know.
0: I look forward to seeing those pictures yeah thanks So, Rick, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why?
1: In in addition to you? (laughs) Yeah. Because I had you on my podcast recently, and uh, your black and white pictures are definitely an inspiration. We talked about light and shadows there. Uh, a photographer I would recommend a fellow name, and I'll send you a link. Uh, Andy Beals comes to mind. Okay, I'm not familiar he, with He uh, he is um, he lives in London and in China, and you've seen those pictures. Like Art Wolfe has pictures of those Cormorant fishermen. Mm-hmm, yeah. You know, in the in the on the Lee River with those like. Uh, uh, mountains in the back like from avatar right he's an amazing young photographer who uh, guided our trip there last year and just an amazing dedicated helpful person andy beals i'll send you a link to his work and you just mentioned your new podcast so why don't you tell us a little bit about about, about that. Yeah, I'm doing – actually, it was Larry Becker's idea. My friend uh, Larry Becker, uh, he worked at Kelby One for a while. And uh, he said, why don't we do a podcast? Because I had done one before. And I I love uh, interviewing people like you do. I don't have the good voice though, <laughs> uh, and uh, so we started it. And we started it in February, and uh, and we're going strong. And we were happy to have people like you and Scott Kelby and Art Wolfe and uh, many other uh, luminaries in the world on the show. Oh, cool! I'll
0: have links for the for the show in the uh, in the show notes, so everyone can uh, check it out. But Rick, cool! Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for spending time with me again. It was a real pleasure. It's always it always enjoys talking with you, Rick.
1: Well, it's a lot of fun. And again, thanks for editing my work and making me look good when you were at a PC photo and outdoor photographer.
0: Thanks to Rick for spending time with us. To find out more about Rick and his work, visit ricksalmon.com. And if you pre-order his book on Amazon, please use our affiliate link as we receive a little bit of that to help support the show. And you can show your support of the Candid Frame by writing a review in the iTunes Store. As people search for podcasts to listen to, these reviews lead people to listen to us for the very first time, and that makes all the difference. So if you haven't already, please take the time to do that today. You can also support the show by making a monthly contribution through Patreon. And for as little as $2 a month, you can help us to not only meet the cost of production, but allow us to improve our podcast, YouTube channel, and website. Or if you just want to make a one-time contribution, you can do so via PayPal. You'll find links for both on the CandorFrame website or the show notes. To access our complete archive of interviews, download the free CandorFrame app, available for both Apple iOS and Android. Not only will you immediately receive the latest episode on your phone or tablet, but you can now easily share your favorite episodes on your social networks and help spread the word. And if you want to drop me a line with comments or suggestions for the show, you can email me directly from the app. Download it today by clicking on the link in the show notes or the website at thecandidframe.com. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker. And our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at simply at Ibadi and X. And this is Ebody and X, and this is The Candid Frame.